Hello again, my name is Jason Drury and welcome to the second part of this latest edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. Before we properly start the show, I must play tribute to one of film music's finest composers who sadly passed away on May the 17th, 2022. Evangelos Odysseus Paphanasu, known professionally as Vangelis. Born in Aguirre in 1943, the young Vangelis developed an early interest in music and experiments with sound, produced by banging pots and pans or fixing nails, glasses and other objects to the strings of his parents' piano. He absorbed the tones of Greek folk songs and Orthodox Christian choral music, but he had no formal musical training, which he later said helped save his sense of creativity. After a start with local rock bands, Vangelis left for Paris at the age of 25, joining an exodus of young artists following the 1967 coup that installed a military junta in Greece. Away from home, he was attracted by the then new field of electronic synthesizers that allowed him to create the lush melodic colours that would soon become his trademark sound. Despite enjoying success in the European prog rock scene in the early 1970s with Aphrodite's Child, a band he formed with fellow Greek musician Demis Roussos, Vangelis was uncomfortable with the expectations on a commercial performing artiste and largely retreated to the recording studio he created for himself in London. It was there that he wrote the score for Chariots of Fire, the story of a triumph of a group of British runners at the 1924 Olympic Games. Unashamedly non-contemporary, the pulsing synthesizer beats and soaring melody made the slow motion opening sequence of a group of athletes running along a beach a model for the way cinema portrayed sport. Vangelis once said the score, which earned him an Academy Award and topped the charts for weeks, was part of a tribute to his father, who was a keen amateur runner, but he was also slightly dismissive of the enormous popularity it enjoyed. As far as he was concerned, it was just another piece of music. The success of Chariots of Fire overshadowed his other scores he wrote for cinema, including Missing, directed by his Greek compatriot Costa Gravis. In 1982, Ridley Scott's futuristic thriller Blade Runner. Other scores include Antarctica in 1983, The Bounty in 84, 1492 Conquest of Paradise in 1992, and Alexander in 2004, and his music was used also in the 1980 PBS documentary series Cosmos, A Personal Voyage by Carl Sagan. In the early 1980s, Vangelis formed a musical partnership with John Anderson, the lead singer of the progressive rock band Yes, and the duo released several albums together as John and Vangelis. He also collaborated with Irene Pappas on two albums of Greek traditional and religious songs. In his last 20 years, Vangelis collaborated with NASA and the European Space Agency on music projects such as Mephodia, Rosetta and Juno to Jupiter, which would be his 23rd and last solo album in 2021. Having a career in music spanning over 50 years and having composed and performed more than 50 albums, Vangelis is considered to be one of the most important figures in the history of electronic music and modern film music. He is known for using many electronic instruments in a fashion of a one-man quasi-classical orchestra composing and performing on the first take. So what we're going to play for you now in tribute to the great Vangelis is a suite from his 1992 score for 
1492, Conquest of Paradise. Directed and produced by Ridley Scott and starring Gerard Depardieu, Amran Asante and Sigourney Weaver. The film portrayed a version of the travels to the New World by the explorer Christopher Columbus and the effect this had on indigenous peoples. The score features a theme which is not as well known maybe as Chariots of Fire or Blade Runner, but there is clearly a hint of familiarity to it. So in tribute to the great Vangelis who died in May 2022, here is a small suite from the 1992 historical epic 1492 Conquest of Paradise.
That was music from the epic historical film 1492 Conquest of Paradise, with music composed and performed by the late, great Vangelis, who died on May the 17th, 2022, at the age of 79. Showcasing beloved favourites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Yes, from Ramsgate in Kent, England, it's a very warm welcome to part two of the latest edition of The Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. I am your host, Jason Drury, and it's great to have you join us once again. This edition, like part one of the show, is a kind of a catch-up of some of the top archival releases in the soundtrack world since December 2021, right up to beginning of May 2022. And as always, if you haven't listened to part one of this show yet and gone straight to part two, I admire your rebellious attitude. Now we start part two with a score which was just released last week in the time of recording this segment. And it is a John Williams score. Yes, another John Williams score. If you haven't had enough of him in his 90th birthday year, but here we go again. It is a John Williams score which, in my opinion, is highly underrated. It is the music for Space Camp, the science fiction adventure inspired by the US space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, directed by Henry Wincher and starring Kate Capshaw, Tom Skerritt, Kelly Preston, Larry B. Scott, Lee Thompson, Tate Donovan and Joachim Phoenix, credited this time as Leif Phoenix. Now, released in 1986, Space Camp centred on young attendees of a space camp who find themselves in space for real when their shuttle is accidentally launched into orbit. Now, Space Camp received mixed reviews and is famous in a way for being a marketing nightmare as it was released only five months after the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster of January 28, 1986, even though filming was completed before the disaster occurred. Now, at the end of 1985, John Williams was set to move offices from 20th Century Fox, where he was based since 1964, to the newly built Amblin Entertainment Complex at Universal, a change precipitated by the retirement of long-term colleague and friend Lionel Newman, the head of the Fox Music Department. Upon hearing about the opening in Williams' schedule, Newman suggested Space Camp as a final project they might work on together. Recorded from March 27th through to April 4th 1986, Space Camp brought Williams back to the Fox scoring stage where he had worked regularly since the early 60s. Several long-time collaborators were at hand. As well as Lionel Newman, there was music editor Ken Womberg and orchestrators Herbert Spencer and Alexander Courage. Over 80 positions played in the sessions, with Armin Steiner, then a relative newcomer to Fox, serving as recording engineer. He had first worked with Williams the previous year on Amazing Stories and would work subsequently on films such as The Richard of Eastwick, Empire of the Sun, Born on the Fourth of July and Home Alone. Instead of producing different themes for the human characters in Space Camp, Williams instead adopted to develop a series of motifs that reflected the setting and the emotions surrounding the adventures of orbital flight. The main theme is constructed of ascending phrases as were the composer's principal melodies for Star Wars, Superman and E.T. But while those earlier themes depicted a superhuman heroic sense of flight, 
with a mere immediate upward perfect fifth leap. Space Camp instead opens with a mere whole tone, reaching towards a goal of humility and tenuousness. The impact of the theme is amplified by its frequent association with a fanfare-like motif. While fully grounded in the composer's writing style of the 1980s, Space Camp also recalls the music of Williams' disaster scores of the early 70s, while exploring sounds and techniques that would appear in his works from the 90s and beyond. For the most part, as John Williams characterised himself in his original album notes, the music is at times comforting and optimistic. Quote, in composing the music for the film, I try to express the exhilaration of this adventure in an orchestral idiom that would be direct and accessible, speaking directly to the heart of the matter. Unquote. So here now is music from the 1986 science fiction adventure Space Camp original score composed and conducted by John Williams.
That was music from the 1986 science fiction adventure film Space Camp, original score composed and conducted by John Williams. The original soundtrack recording has just been released at the time of this recording in early May 2022 in a remastered two-disc set produced by Mike Matissano, comprising of the complete score, the original soundtrack album and bonus tracks, all from Intrada Records. Mining the vast film music vaults so you don't have to. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Now, the 1972 adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's 1883 novel, Treasure Island, is definitely not the first adaptation of the book, but it was certainly probably the longest in terms of production time. The film starred Orson Welles as Long John Silver, albeit dubbed by a different actor, with Kim Burfield as Jack Hawkins. The film has its origins in Orson Welles' attempts to film its Shakespearean adaptation Chimes by Midnight in the early 1960s, the score was which was featured on an earlier archive show, a project of which Wells had worked on since the late 1930s. After Wells had failed to convince numerous producers to finance the film, he tried an alternate approach by writing a screenplay for the more commercially appealing Treasure Island and promised to make both films back to back, filmed on the same sets with the same cast for barely more than the cost of one film, as well as having written the script he proposed to direct Treasure Island and play Long John Silver. According to Wells' assistant, Juan Corbez, Wells was afraid that Charms wouldn't be a very appealing film at the box office, and he proposed a remake of Treasure Island to the producers. It was a way to cover the money deficit of Charms, with a more popular film based on Stevenson's classical novel. But as the funding for the films ran out, only one was able to be finished, and that was Charms at Midnight, and Treasure Island unfortunately missed out. Unlike many future unfinished Wells projects, this one didn't have enough material shot for completion. Then we moved to 1972 when the project was resurrected by Harry Ann Towers, who had worked with Wells on, before on the radio. While the filmmaking legend was contractually tied to the project, the screenplay was actually written by Wolf Mankovich, with Wells receiving the unusual screenwriting credit of O.W. Jeeves. But then, Hammer veteran John Howe was brought in to direct because Towers couldn't get a completion guarantee if Wells stayed at the helm. Effectively, Wells stayed on to play Long John Silver under the condition that the film would be shot in Spain, where he was living at the time, as opposed to Greece. But the film's problems were not over after that as Wells then claimed that his performance was dubbed by another actor without his permission. Wells did record a dubbing session, but it was over one very long night in Paris, and it was felt that his dubbing could not be understood. Nat Cohen, who was in charge of the film's release in Britain and American TV, insisted that the voice be dubbed again. This time they hired Robert Ratey to do the job. So all this was going on in the production, even before somebody had the idea to decide who's going to write the music for the project. 
and for that they turned to Italian composer Natale Massara, who is best known for being the conductor of choice for the scores of Pino Donaggio, including the classic Brian De Palma films Carrie and Dress to Kill. Although Wells was really now the star of the movie, he still had primary creative force of post-production, and when Massara was proposed to write the score, he was flown out to Madrid for these spotting sessions where he discussed the music with Wells and agreed to score the film in the style of an old Hollywood swashbuckler. In fact, the score itself is a mix of Hollywood adventure with the contemporary sound of Italian cinema. After a stormy opening which highlights the main themes of the score, selective cues are at times adorned with 70s synths as well as electric organ passages. Now, one of the interesting parts of the score is how the music for the pirates, or the themes for the pirates, as you were, changes from sinister, representing the fears of June Hawkins, to almost heroic and given a few accent cues in the bargain. It's the small touches like the colour, tempo and vibrato that turns the bad guys into quintessential seafaring action heroes. So here now is music from the 1972 adaptation of the Robert Louis Stevenson novel Treasure Island, with original score composed and conducted by Natalie Masala.
That was music from the 1972 Orson Welles starring adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's classic novel Treasure Island with original score composed and conducted by Natalie Masara. The original soundtrack recording was released in December 2021 remastered by friend of the show Chris Malone by Quartet Records. <laughs> the air and streaming on the web since 1996 this is the cinematic sound radio network next up is music from a film that could not be more contrasting to treasure island if it tried videodrome the 1983 canadian science fiction body horror film written and directed by david cronenberg and starring james woods sonia smits and debbie harry Set in Toronto during the early 1980s, it follows Max Wren, the CEO of a small UHF television station, who stumbles upon a broadcast signal of snuff films. The layers of deception and mind control conspiracy unfold as he uncovers the signal source and loses touch with reality in a series of increasingly bizarre hallucinations. Distributed by Universal Pictures, Videodrome was the first film by Cronenberg to gain backing from a major Hollywood studio, with its highest budget of any film to date. The film, however, was a box office bomb, recouping only $2.1 million from a $5.9 million budget. Now considered a cult classic, the film has been cited as one of Cronenberg's best and a key example of the body horror and science fiction horror genre. Now, the score for Videodrome was composed by Cronenberg's close friend, Howard Shaw. This score, the third collaboration with Cronenberg and Shaw, was composed to follow Max Wren's descent into video hallucinations, starting with a dramatic orchestral music that increasingly incorporates and eventually emphasises electronic instrumentation. To achieve this, Shaw composed the score entirely for orchestra before programming it into a Sinclair II digital synthesizer. The render score taken from the Sinclair was then recorded being played in tandem with a small string section. The resulting sound is a subtle blend that often makes it difficult to tell which sounds are real and which were synthesized. So let's find out for ourselves as we now play music from the 1983 Canadian science fiction body horror film Videodrome, the original score composed by Howard Shaw.
absolutely no idea. I'm not talking about the music, I've just got absolutely no idea. Uh, that was music from the 1983 Canadian science fiction body horror film Videodrome, with original score composed by Howard Shaw. And that is as far away from Frodo and Cord than he can get as well. Now the original soundtrack recording has been restored from the original session masters and supervised by Howard Shaw himself and was released in February 2022 on CD through La La Land Records, on vinyl through Modo and digitally through Batlot Music. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Now, as I keep saying to anyone who wants to listen, one of my pleasures of last year was to do an interview with the great Bruce Broughton. And I was flabbergasted earlier this year that Dragon Domain Records decided to release a recording of Bruce Broughton's score to The Boy Who Could Fly, the 1986 fantasy drama film written and directed by Nick Castle. The film stars Lucy Deakins, Millie Michelson, Jay Underwood, Bonnie Bedela, Fred Savage, Colin Dewhurst, Fred Gwynn, Jeanette McLuckland, and Mindy Kuhn. After the suicide of her terminally ill father, Millie Michelson becomes friends with Eric Gibb, a boy with autism who lost both his parents to a plane crash. Together, Eric and Millie find ways to cope with the loss and the pain as they escape to faraway places. Now, Broughton scored the film using just the one single theme, adapted with numerous variations. From the gentle cadence of their young romance through to the soaring treatment, Eric fulfills his desire to fly. Now, unable to produce a original soundtrack album at the time, Broughton had to re-record his score in England, conducting the Symphony of London Orchestra at Olympic Studios London, recorded by Keith Grant. The original soundtrack album was eventually issued by Entrada Records in 2002, followed by an ex expanded edition in 2015. This 10-track version of the score is the one that was recently released by Dragon Domain Records. This performance is a lot different from the original. The tempos and recordings are different, remembered Bruce Broughton in an interview with Randall Larson for this release. In contrast to Broughton's rousing scores for Silverado and Young Sherlock Holmes, his intentions for The Boy Who Could Fly was to keep it light and airy. Quote, There's a very pretty, wholesome, naive, imaginary romance. It is an adolescent kind of a movie. When it went romantic, I went over the top. And when it was just very sweet, I played to the sweetness. It was just very easy to do because the couple together worked really well. I tried to write the score that pushed up the basic elements of the film. Unquote. Now, Broughton's score for The Boy Who Could Fly was almost thrown out prior to the film's release. The producers were worried that the title would give away the story and that it was too close to 1982's E.T. and that Broughton's theme had a melody that reminded people of E.T. So they previewed The Boy Who Could Fly in two different ways. One with the title actually blanked out and then another with the title shown. They were concerned that the title would give away the film that there's a boy who could actually fly. Well, the boy actually does fly, so the answer is yes. Eventually, the anxieties calmed down and Broughton's fine score remained, and the film was released as The Boy Who Could Fly to generally positive reviews. 
So here now is Bruce Borton's 1986 re-recording of his score for The Boy Who Could Fly, performed by the Sinfonia of London.
That was music for the 1986 recording in London of Bruce Broughton's score to The Boy Who Could Fly, performed by the Symphony of London and conducted by Bruce Broughton. This album was released along with re-recordings of Sweets and Things by Bruce Broughton by Dragon's Domain Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Now, I think we've not had any video game music appear in the archive before. I've not really been a video game player myself. I think I was quite good at Pac-Man when I was young, and I don't think International Cricket Captain 2021 really counts. But I think this recent release really does deserve a place in the archive. Ten years ago, a video game called Journey was released. In Journey, the player controls a robed figure in a vast desert, travelling towards a mountain in the distance. Other players on the same journey can be discovered, and two players can meet and assist each other, but they cannot communicate via speech or text, and cannot see each other's names until after the game's credits. The only form of communication between the two is a musical chime, which transforms dull pieces of cloth found throughout the levels into vibrant red, affecting the game world and allowing the player to progress through the levels. The developers sought to evoke in the player a sense of smallness and wonder and to forge an emotional connection between them and the anonymous players they meet along the way. The music, composed by Austin Wintry, dynamically responds to the player's actions, building a single theme to represent the game's emotional arc throughout the story. Now in March 2022, to celebrate the game's 10th anniversary, Wintry re-released a rearranged version of Journey's soundtrack for a full orchestra performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, the London Voice Choir and cellist Tina Girl. Titled Traveller, a Journey Symphony, Wintry reimagines elements of the soundtrack to use a larger set of instruments and players and a greater number of vocalists, taking a number of performers from around 30 on the original soundtrack to around 130 while trying to stay true to the original compositions. The album was funded and co-produced by Wintry and Andrea Pesino, co-founder of the video game developer Ready at Dawn, whose games Wintry has composed. It was released on digital album and on vinyl. This is what Austin Wintry has to say in his notes on his Bandcamp website. Quote, To say Journey's initial release changed my life would be a staggering understatement. Nearly everything about my world, from the friends I've made to the career opportunities I've enjoyed, seemed directly connected to the reaction the game got. For a decade, I've been overwhelmed by an outpouring power of love that I've never anticipated. This album, on the occasion of the game's 10th anniversary, is my thank you. I've totally reorchestrated and in many cases heavily reimagined the whole score. My hope is that this album indulges that fantasy of feeling, sometimes old, as if for the first time, unquote. So now, in his archive debut, and hope the first many times he'll appear on this show, here is music from Traveller, A Journey Symphony, composed and conducted by Austin Wintry and performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, the London Voice Choir and cellist Tina Girl. Thank you. 
That was the cue Threshold from Traveller A Journey Symphony, with music composed and conducted by Austin Wintory and performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, the London Voice Choir and cellist Tina Girl. This wonderful 10th anniversary recording is available on vinyl and in a digital album from Austin Wintory's Bandcamp website at austinwintory.bandcamp.com. So now sadly we've reached the end of part two of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. Before we go on, I must mention that the Archive theme music was composed by David Cusina. I'll leave you with a live recording released towards the end of 2021 from the 13th edition of the Tenerife International Film Music Festival, also known as Filmicite. Rocky IV, the Symphonic Rock Suite, based on music from the 1986 film Rocky IV. That's a surprise. Written, directed and starring Sylvester Stallone. It is the sequel to Rocky III. Now there's a surprise. Really? And also stars Talia Shire, Bert Young, Carl Weavers, Bridget Nielsen and Doff Lundgren. You will lose. In the film, Rocky Balboa fights Ivan Drago, a Soviet boxer responsible for causing a personal tragedy. I'm not going to tell you. You've got to see the film to find out. Yes, Rocky IV, a film that stays in the memory if even if you don't want it to i remember i remember seeing that on the old dreamland cinema margate seafront when it came out i, do, I remember it well because there were people sitting in the aisles as well so if you wanted to go to the toilet you were not truly stuck as a side note look out for the forthcoming sam mendes film empire of light which the cinema itself makes a prominent appearance Unlike all other Rocky films, the music was composed not by Bill Conti, but this time by Vince DiCola, as Conti at the time was too busy working on the first two Karate Kid films, and that DiCola had impressed alone with his work on the Saturday Night Fever sequel, Staying Alive. All he had to do was to show he was better than his brother Frank. DiCola was hired to add rock energy to the Rocky music palette, of which everyone who has heard the music and has seen the film know that he succeeded in spades. Now his new suite was arranged by Lee Phillips, who's been a very busy man these last few months, conducted by Diego Navarro and performed at the Auditorium of Tenerife by the Filmsite Youth Symphony Orchestra, which is comprised of students from the Professional Music Conservatory of Santa Cruz de Tenerife and of the Conservatory of Music of the Canary Islands. The recording also featured on keyboards Vince DiCola himself. So air guitar at the ready as we hear Training Montage and War from Rocky IV, the Symphonic Rock Suite, based on music from the 1986 film Rocky IV, composed by Vince DiCola and available as an EP from Note for Note Records. Thank you very much for joining us once again. I do hope you enjoyed both parts of this latest edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. And until we meet again, either on Talking Soundtracks or the Archive, for me, Jason Drury, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to TeePublic to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.